0: Emergency heroes (laughs) Heroes. Heroes have been ordered because you're down there on that Greek planet. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Damn It Jim, the podcast. A fun and fascinating look at the very influential Star Trek, the original series. Once again, I am your navigator, Dana Smith. And our captain of Unlimited Shenanigans is my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan.
1: (laughs) I like that. Every week, there's there's like a new title. This is pretty amazing. (laughs) Well, you're still a captain. I was going to raise you up to Commodore. So there are these websites or online kind of forums where Star Trek people kind of get together and they give themselves rankings and assign themselves ships and crews. And I don't really know how it works, but... Couldn't you just start out at like the top, you know?
0: <laughs> well, if you're starting your own ship and you got your own crew, yeah. I mean, somebody's got to be captain, right?
1: Yeah. No, I meant like even higher than that, admiral or
0: commodore or whatever. Yeah.
1: Or supreme overlord or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that works. And I, to be honest, I don't really have the time to invest into finding out. Yeah. But how are you doing, Dana?
0: Oh, pretty good.
1: How'd you like the Super Bowl? But really, what I wanted to know, Dana was like about the food the food at wherever you were for Super Bowl was it good
0: yeah my we went to my brother-in-law's house and he had uh, a taco bar set up and he'd been working on the the meat all day
1: that could then get sore if you're oh 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 oh, oh I see it for the taco meat okay
0: Yeah. Uh, My wife brought a vegetable tray, which barely got touched.
1: (laughs) And now you're having to eat all of it. (laughs) I I have to say, my favorite commercial, though, was the Christopher Walken commercial.
0: Oh, you you can't beat Christopher Walken.
1: And then all the people doing the impersonations. Yeah. However, we were texting back and forth during the Super Bowl, and I mentioned (laughs) the Christopher Walken. And you asked me if your impersonation that you did, I don't know, sometime last season, I think. Was yeah. as good as those on the commercial. And I said, yeah.
0: Well, you know, uh, when you look at a Super Bowl commercial, you, you got to have a guy in there that's really going to
1: grab you. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> I, I can't do impersonations, Dana. I just can't do it.
0: <laughs> I've had lots of boring jobs in my life. Mm-hmm. On top of this one, and
1: uh, <laughs> wait—the podcast that you're talking about?
0: <laughs> oh no, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. Well, that's what it sounded like.
1: I gotta go, Dana. I'm gonna hang up now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I used and I worked on this one production line. This uh, girl I was working on I was trying to impress. There's always a girl I'm trying to impress in these mm-hmm. stories. She said her old boyfriend could do Popeye really well, and so I tried doing Popeye and was terrible at it. But then. I did uh, James Mason, mm-hmm. and she knew who he was. I hmm. could also I could also do little Clint Eastwood at the time. Yeah, I would practice every day with the, the on this line with this woman I worked with, and uh, she would constantly say, "You know, you're getting better at all these. You're getting better." And, <laughs> and so, and she never saw me as anything more than a whack job working on an assembly line, but
1: talking to himself.
0: Yeah, doing. <laughs> Bad impersonations. But, uh,
1: <laughs> That's funny. I didn't know that story.
0: Gave her a few laughs along the way. Sure. Yeah. So, Dan, should we uh, get to our listeners' comments?
1: Yeah, we should. I got some exciting ones, I think, this week, Dana.
0: Dan, our good friend uh, Matthew Fleming said, I've been listening to a few of your recent podcasts, and I've discovered that Dan laughs like the Joker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, I just laughed. Does that sound like the Joker?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it before, but he says, sounds kind of maniacal. Keep it up. I'm loving it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I'll have to ask my wife. I mean, my wife thinks I'm a Joker anyway, so.
0: but I mean, this could be your step. You wanted to be in a commercial. You could end up doing voiceovers for like the Batman animated series.
1: Oh, okay. You could be the Joker. Wow. That'd be great. I want to be in a commercial. I've said that many times and I'm (laughs) going to say it again. If anyone out there has any connection to the commercial world, I only have two requirements, Dana. One, I can't be blurred out. And two, I cannot have a speaking line. <laughs> 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 Laughing maybe, but not speaking.
0: So moving along, Mark Haley said, when you view Star Trek as a collective entity, you really start to notice how much the series focuses on Captain Kirk. He says the Tholian web was a welcome diversion from the regular Kirk-focused plot line. Kirk's relevance to the story was still there. He was trapped in a phasing universe but his physical absence gave the supporting cast greater opportunity to develop their characters and have more dialogue. Uh, Grayson William Mayfield III said, as an admin uh, on Facebook, I personally recommend giving these podcasts a try. I have listened to a few and found them to be informative and entertaining.
1: So, he mean our podcast or just generally <laughs> the podcast world? What is he talking about? It was about? Uh, in regards to our podcast. Oh, nice. Awesome. Thank you for that.
0: Our good friend Pam McClung said, another great podcast episode with quite a few laugh-out-loud moments. I have to agree with you that McCoy was being a jerk in this episode.
1: (laughs) Good. Glad it's not just us.
0: (laughs) And as you point out, he was acting exactly the opposite of his usual. Usually, he'd been arguing that to, with Spock to keep searching for Kirk, even if it was no longer logical. She said, I did like the ending where Spock and McCoy both deny watching the message from Kirk. Here's the proof that Vulcans can indeed lie. And she corrected herself after that and said, at least half Vulcans can lie.
1: That was a half lie.
0: Thomas Cummings said, I listened to what was their latest episode a couple of weeks ago, and I found the guys to be personable and informative. Good listen for me. Thank you, Thomas.
1: See, I think this guy and the other guy are listening to someone else's podcast by mistake. <laughs> and they're thinking it's us.
0: <laughs> Dan, you know, don't knock us so much. I think uh, we, we did fairly well.
1: Yeah, well, thank you guys for those comments. I, I appreciate that.
0: So, Dan, that's all I've got. Did uh, we get any emails or should I dare ask phone calls this week?
1: Both, Dana. So we did get a phone call from longtime listener Pam McClung. You also read one of her comments from Facebook. Pam has an idea of what we could do when we are done with the original series. But first, she thinks we need to review the Deep Space Nine episode Trials and Tribulations. You remember that one? It's the tie-in to the Trouble with Tribbles episode.
0: I've never seen that. So I would, I would love to do that one.
1: Yeah, we need to. Maybe when we're done with all the original series, we tack that one on at the end. Yeah. And several other listeners have also uh, said that as well. So I think That definitely should be on our agenda. But here's the rest of what she had to say. I'm calling about um, where you guys might be going in the future after you wrap up with uh, the original series. You need to do Battlestar Galactica, the original 1978 series. There's only one season, and it's only 24 episodes, so it wouldn't be any big, huge, long commitment and I think you guys could have a lot of fun uh, making fun of it. So those are my thoughts um, on where you might be able to go in the future. I hope to, you guys keep doing something because I've been enjoying uh, your podcast and I hate to see it come to an end. Looking forward to all the next episodes. Bye.
0: Dan, I never thought about Battlestar Galactica, the real, the original series. I actually watched the remake that they did. I never got into the original one, I don't think.
1: It was bad. It was We would have a lot of fun with it. That is for sure. Yeah, let's add it to the list. Also, we received a YouTube comment about an older episode, way back from season one, Dana, the court-martial episode. And in that episode, they mentioned nuclear piles, and we made some jokes about it, no, no doubt fecal-related. And listener Yusudu writes, pile in this context is a battery. My dad taught me that when I was a kid. He also taught me the more medical definition of the term. We agreed that the second interpretation of atomic pile is much more humorous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, that's that's what I expect from our listeners.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And I think we pretty much say the same thing. We've heard atomic pile come up twice now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or go down twice, however you want to look at it.
0: (laughs) Or not go down twice. (laughs) Or
1: not. Yeah, good point. (laughs) And then finally, J.D. Lewis sent us another fun fact. I got to say, J.D. has been consistent. I, I love these fun facts, Dana.
0: I can't wait. This is awesome.
1: Yeah, here we go. J.D. Lewis says, fun fact. In Judy Bum's first draft of the script for the Tholian Web, the landing party wore environmental belts, similar to the animated series. But the producers opted for new environmental suits instead. At least the new and improved environmental suits are better than the suits that were made from the repurposed shower curtains from the Naked Time. (laughs) Remember those, Dana?
0: Oh, yeah. All too well.
1: And JD continues, I think the belts would have worked better for making Kirk more ghostly when appearing to Uhura and Scotty. Also, the belts would have cost less than springing for several new suits. Yeah, great points, JD
0: silver lame. I wonder how much it costs to have all those yards of silver lame.
1: Well, and until you pronounced it lame, cuz I read something about those suits. I thought it was silver lame. I'm like that's a stupid name for fabric. <laughs> silver lame. I didn't know I I didn't even know what lame was, Dana.
0: I don't know if we can put this in or not. I was in an acting class with a guy whose name was I should just say his last name. I was in an acting class with a guy whose last name was LeMay. When we'd watch him act, we'd always say his last name should be Lane. So,
1: <laughs> And now he's on Broadway. Yeah, probably. Sweeping up. Okay. Well, that's all I have, Dana.
0: Okay. Well, we did get a phone call this week, but uh, Dan, do you want to repeat that uh, phone number for us?
1: Yeah. The number for the Dammit Gym hotline is 509-676-6298. You can call anytime, day or night. And if we like what you have to say, we'll put it on the air.
0: Pam left us a message, and we really appreciate that. And, and she did comment that she said you guys are always begging for somebody to make phone calls. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, begging, yeah. Yeah, groveling, I think, probably would be a better, better term there. <laughs> She's being nice. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, we just thought people would like it better if they heard somebody else's voices other than ours for a little bit of the show. So.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs>
0: okay, Dan, let's start on Season 3. Episode 10, Plato's Stepchildren. Yeah, what's he doing? If you're counting down, by the way, this is episode 14, so there's not that many episodes left. Okay, start off Captain's Log, start at 5784.2. They are responding to desperate distress calls from an unknown planet. Kirk says, my science officer, Mr. Spock, is unable to account for this since he reported no signs of life on the planet. Dan, this is like three weeks in a row where... (laughs) Spock can't detect
1: life on a planet. <laughs> I know. And the desperate distress calls. How many times have we heard this one, Dana? Just in this season. Yeah.
0: It's, it's got to be four times. It would make me leery to go into space if, you know, there was that many distress calls. So, you
1: know, it's... <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Or her would say, Captain, we got another distress call. Yeah, no, just the other direction. Let's just turn around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So this planet is known for its rich curanide deposits. And there's another word I'm sure I've said wrong. Uh, <laughs>
1: you know what you should say? It is Christopher Walken, then no one would dare to fuck with you, Dana.
0: <laughs> it is a uh, rich, uh, I can't do it right now. A, it is rich in curinide deposits, a very rare and long lasting source of great power. I think that's like the later version of Viagra. Yeah. <laughs> So Spock, McCoy, and Kirk beam down. Dan, my first question is, if they've got distress calls, why would it just be
1: those three? Yeah. No, there's no security officers.
0: Somebody needs to get killed while they're there.
1: Oh, Dana, I'm so dis- disappointed. I'm just going to say right now, I'm very disappointed in this season.
0: Yeah, well, you should be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, there are many reasons you could be disappointed in the season, but <laughs> one of them is just not enough red shirts. Not enough dead red shirts. Well, yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: And don't get me started on I'm a doctor, not a...
1: No, we'll, we'll go through that at the end because I want to hear your unfiltered <laughs> reaction to that.
0: <laughs> they beam down. The architecture is ancient Greek. There's like pillars and marble everywhere. They hear a voice that kind of bellows and asks if they are from the spaceship Enterprise. They see a big shadow on the back wall. Then the speaker comes closer and they see he's a little person. And he introduces himself as Alexander. Alexander explains that he sings, he dances, he plays games, and he's a very good loser. Kirk asks about the inhabitants of the planet. Alexander says, oh, Platonians! I'm sure you've never heard of us. Our native star is Sunhandra. A millennia ago, just before it went nova, we managed to escape. So how many words in there do you think I said wrong?
1: (laughs) Uh, Probably none. I would say none, Dana. They all sounded (laughs) correct to me.
0: I can't wait to get our notes. <laughs> so he says, our leader liked Plato's ideas. See, Plato, Platonius, see?
1: Oh, I see. I never would have gotten it unless he explained that.
0: He says, in fact, our present
1: philosopher king
0: Parmen sometimes calls us Plato's children. Although we sometimes think of ourselves more as Plato's stepchildren, he says, excuse me, some someone's waiting for you. Suddenly he stiffens and appears to be pulled backwards. And the landing party follows him. They go in this other room where the floor is part chessboard. A guy lies on a settee. Uh, A woman steps forward and asks, who is the physician? And McCoy says, I am. She leads him to the guy on the settee. And McCoy looks and says, the wound on the man's leg should have been taken care of a long time ago.
1: I wish we would have seen the wound. He just kind of lifts up the blanket and looks under there.
0: Maybe it wasn't a wound at all.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You need treatment, but I'm not that kind of doctor. (laughs)
0: so uh the guy says he scratched it and he seems very casual about it he asks if mccoy can help and mccoy says well i'm certainly gonna try he opens up his little med kit and goes to take out the hypo and suddenly the hypo is floating in the air away from mccoy
1: and you could almost not see the strings
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah by the way it was bouncing around it was pretty obvious it was on a string yeah so the man asks where the injection is to go, and McCoy points to the man's arm. I, I wanted to speed past that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, sorry, I'm not going to let you do that. Um, <laughs> we both know where that injection needed to go, Dana.
0: Put it in the wrong spot then. McCoy points to the man's arm. The hypo moves to the man's arm, and we hear the injection. Then it floats back. Towards McCoy. So we see Alexander is talking to the woman and he says, Felana, Felania? Was it Felana or Felena?
1: I don't know. (laughs) Let's say Felena. Let's say Felena.
0: We see Alexander talking to the woman. He says, Felena, they came to help. They deserve better than to die. And suddenly his own hand is thrust into his mouth to keep him from talking. And Felania says, Alexander, you talk too much. I think I already changed your name,
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> the new captain's log is stardate 5784.3. Dr. McCoy is endeavoring to treat the leader of a strange group of people. When their planet Novid, millennia ago, they transported themselves to Earth in the time of Socrates and Plato. After the death of the Greek civilization they idolized, they came to this planet and created for themselves a utopia patterned after it.
1: But Dana, we've heard this before. We, we've we heard this exact storyline with Who Mourns for Adonais, right?
0: Yeah. So McCoy joins Kirk and Spock, who have been watching the whole thing. Kirk asks how a scratch could be such a problem. McCoy responds, neither do I, but it has. How do I knock out an infection when the Tricor doesn't even show any information about on Plutonius bacteria? All I can do, and this is going to take time, is to try to match his bugs with a known strain and
1: hope. <laughs> None of that made any sense to me. i'm not a doctor
0: yeah well it's obvious he isn't either
1: uh. (laughs) well i I do have a question so kirk and spock are just standing there the whole time yeah watching this it's taking place in just a matter of a couple of minutes right yeah when does he do the second captain's log where does that come in like is he back there in the corner Uh, captain's log uh, 63.4 we're among these very strange people you know, where, does, where does he do the log? <laughs> Excuse me, I gotta, I gotta go take a bathroom break, and
0: yeah, I gotta go drop a log,
1: but know, but so different type of log, you know. But don't tell them, Spock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. You're a Vulcan. You can't lie. So, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you
1: can kind of half lie, maybe. Yeah.
0: Kirk asks Felena about the psychokinetic power. She starts to say two and a half, then stops and says ever since we arrived here. And McCoy asks about the medicine and why no doctors. And she says, they were part of a mass eugenics program on their home planet. We'd never heard of this either. Uh, (laughs) Exactly right. Pared down to a population of 38, we're perfect for utopia. So she uh, asks, how old do you think I am? And Kirk seems afraid to guess. And she says, don't worry, I'm not vain. And Spock says, 35.
1: <laughs> that was great, that scene. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and she looks stunned, and she goes, that old? She says, I stopped aging at 30.
1: In fact, she kind of, doesn't she put her hand under her chin, like, trying to check if, you know, she's got the turkey jaw thing going?
0: Yeah, and Spock's like, You <laughs> <laughs> stopped aging at 50. <laughs>
1: I like that scene. I thought it was pretty funny.
0: Yeah, no, it was perfect. And again, Leonard Nimoy just delivers the line perfectly. He did, yeah. And she says, well, you're off by 2,000 years. She says, I am 2,300 years old. She goes on, we scarcely have to move anymore, let alone work. Kirk says, that's why you have no resistance. She says, yes, a break in the skin or a cut, all can be fatal. So right then, Parman starts moaning. I always want to call him Parmesan. And
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Parman starts moaning, and we see objects m- move, and then they start flying about the room. Some chess pieces and such go flying right by the landing party because
1: these are huge pieces—the one they were playing chess with earlier. Yeah.
0: So Kirk, Spock, and McCoy duck as objects go flying by their heads. Spock says, "I believe we're experiencing the psychokinetic manifestations of Parman's delirium."
1: Dana. Everything was pronounced perfectly in that sentence. There were a lot of big (laughs) words in there.
0: I'm done. I'm going to bed. (laughs)
1: Just a mic drop right there.
0: (laughs) So on the Enterprise, we see the ship is rocked. Scotty is in the command chair. Scotty calls the Kirk, Captain, we're in the midst of a storm. And uh, Scotty goes on, no discernible cause, and I've never seen anything like it. There's 10-scale turbulence right now. Emergency euros. (laughs)
1: Euros?
0: (laughs) Euros have been ordered because you're down there on that Greek planet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant, Dana. That is brilliant. Oh, man. I love a good euro. Hmm. Uh, Yeah.
0: Could I get mine with extra sauce?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but all <hold> the onions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I get a date later.
1: <laughs> that would have been funny though if he ordered emergency euros. I mean that. <laughs> God, I, lo- I do love euros though. I mean, oh, I love I love euros. Yeah, Chicago had great ones, right? Chicago had the best. Yeah.
0: Scotty says no discernible cause. I'd never seen anything like it. There's 10 scale turbulence right now. Emergency gyros and stabilizers at maximum. If this keeps up, Captain, we can't last.
1: It's always doom and gloom with Scotty. What's going
0: on? <laughs> yeah, that's why Kirk just didn't hang up on him. It's like, yeah, whatever. Like... <laughs> so <laughs> Kirk says, engines at full speed. Get her out of orbit and into space. Aren't they in space? I
1: know. I thought the same thing. <laughs>
0: So back on the bridge, Scotty says, I tried that, sir. She's locked tight. Kirk says, then there's nothing you can do but batten down and weather it out. So Kirk orders McCoy to give Parman a shot and knock him out. McCoy goes and has to dodge more flying stuff. And he's ready to give him a shot. And Parman throws McCoy around telekinetically, of course. Sure. McCoy tries to get close, but it ends up pinned against the wall. Then Alexander seems to be taking a lot of punishment. He's getting beat up and thrown about by an unknown force. McCoy manages to break free of the wall and gives Parman a shot, but now Alexander is being strangled. Kirk yells to McCoy, shake him, break his concentration. And McCoy tries shaking Parman, but still Alexander is being strangled. Finally, he stops and Alexander is safe. Felina comes to Kirk as Scotty reports the ship is okay now. Felina says, I don't know how we can ever thank you. She invites him to stay and Kirk says, well, we must return to our ship. McCoy says he needs to stay until Parman's fever breaks. Kirk says, well, we better stay then. And so Alexander leads him off into another room. So in the other room, Alexander thanks Kirk for saving his life. He says, there's something I should tell you. Then he stops and says, I didn't know people like you existed. You get a feeling that's not what he was going to say.
1: Yeah, he was going to say something and he stopped a little short.
0: So Kirk asks, where is everyone? And Alexander says, they're in chambers meditating. And then Kirk says, Alexander, are there other Platonians like you? And Alexander says, what do you mean, like me? Kirk says, who don't have the psychokinetic ability. And then Alexander kind of lightens up and says, oh, I thought you were talking about my size because they make fun of me for my size. And he pauses and says, but to answer your question, I'm the only one without it. I was brought here as the court buffoon. That's why I'm everybody's slave and I have to be 10 places at once and I never do anything right. He asks Kirk,
1: Listen, where you come from, are there a lot of people without the power and my size? Alexander, where I come from, size, shape, or color makes no difference. And nobody has the power.
0: And all of a sudden he is thrown and then twisted away. He says, somebody wants me. And he's like pulled out of the room. So Spock comes up and says, Captain, it will be very gratifying
1: to leave here. McCoy
0: enters smiling and happy. He says, Jim, my concoction actually worked. The fever's broken.
1: Where did he make this concoction? Because he said he needed like some bugs. I mean, I know he means probably microorganisms, but did he just make it like there in the room?
0: He says, and what recuperative powers they have. And the infection's begun to
1: drain already. Can you imagine? That would have been a mess.
0: And Kirk calls up the Enterprise and tells Scotty to beam them out. Scotty says they can't. Everything's frozen. Kirk says, what caused it? Scotty says, I don't know, sir. And those are the facts. <laughs> But we could beam up some uteros if you don't mind. (laughs) Kirk says, uh, "Did you get up into space?" Whitney have just said, "Come, we're already
1: in space. What kind of cut are you?" That's horrible accent.
0: So we see Alexander playing the liar. Is that how you say it? Sure, it's wrong.
1: (laughs) I think that's right.
0: Yeah, I think I'm getting a complex. Parmen is sitting up as uh, Kirk enters. Alexander says something in Greek. I didn't pick up on that. He did say he said
1: something in Greek?
0: Yeah, he's walking behind Parmen playing the lyre. All of a sudden there's like these words like in a different voice. Huh? I actually had to look it up and it says that he speaks Greek and I can't remember what the translation was.
1: Get out now <laughs> and there will be no euros.
0: So Kirk addresses Parmen as your excellency. Parmen says... Parman will do. Philosopher kings have no need for titles. Oh, okay. Kirk says, I would like to know why the ship's instrumentation and weaponry is frozen and why the Enterprise is locked in orbit. Parman's like kind of scoffs and says, Captain, please, you are mistaken, I assure you. Now Alexander standing behind Parman shakes his head no as a warning to Kirk. Kirk says, I want my ship released immediately. Parman says, amenities guests don't come barging in making demands and issuing orders and kirk's phaser suddenly flies off his hip into parman's hand
1: <laughs> another time you know you really didn't know there was a string involved
0: <laughs> yeah you could just barely see it suddenly kirk's hand moves up towards his face and he slaps himself alexander cringes and kirk's hand keeps slapping his face back and forth
1: have we ever heard of this a self-mabinga <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he self-mabingoed the crap out of himself.
0: Yeah. What didn't seem to
1: stop? No. I hear, though, if you if you mabinga yourself too much, you get like hair on your palms. Is that true?
0: Yeah, I heard that uh, you lose your ability to slap yourself after a while. So. <laughs> Later in the guest room, Kirk is trying to reach the Enterprise, but he gets no response. McCoy suddenly stands and turns towards the door. Kirk asks, where are you going? McCoy says, I don't know. I don't want to go. And he's pulled toward the door, obviously, against his will. Next thing you know, the same thing happens to Kirk and then to Spock. And they're dragged, staggering against their own wishes, out the door. So the next thing we see is Alexander blowing a horn.
1: <laughs> and Parman says, no, okay, not now, Alexander, we got guests.
0: <laughs> the door opens, McCoy comes in, followed by Kirk. And now Kirk looks like he's doing the mambo dance from Beetlejuice. Remember when they were doing that and like kind of throwing their heads back and their arms out to the side? Do you
1: think they took that from this episode, kind of the inspiration?
0: Maybe. So then Spock's last one through. They're pulled forward to Parman and Felena. Falena says, gentle spaceman, we are eternally in your debt. So Kirk asks, what about my ship? And Parman stands, says, my humble apologies. You were badly used. In my own defense, allow me to say that my illness was more profoundly disturbing than I myself realized. I am sure that you, too, have been out of sorts and have been driven to fits of temper and rage. Unlike you, however, what I think and feel, whether good or ill, is instantly translated into reality. So please, find it in your heart to forgive me. And Kirk says, certainly. Then he says, has the Enterprise been released yet? And Parman says, it will be shortly. So Parman says, we have one last request. We would like Dr. McCoy to remain. And McCoy says, out of the question. Parman says, your duties will be extremely light.
1: And you won't have to really do any real doctoring, kind of like that's what you already do is not any real (laughs) doctoring.
0: Because you spend so much time on the bridge and not in sickbay. And Kirk steps forward and says, Dr. McCoy saved your life. Parman says he is losing patience. And Kirk responds, do you consider yourself a disciple of Plato? Parman says, we live in peace and harmony. And Spock asked, who's harmony? Parman says, oh, come on now. We are not children.
1: In your culture, justice is the will of the stronger. It is forced upon people by means of weapons and fleets of spaceships. Our justice is the will of the stronger mind. And I, for one, considered a vast improvement. We don't use our weapons for the kind of brutality you practice.
0: So Parman says, farewell, Kirk. Kirk turns to leave. When McCoy tries to leave, it's like his feet are glued to the floor. Kirk turns back to him. McCoy says, they're going to keep me here no matter what. And Parman says, go while you still can. He pulls McCoy up by, on the pedestal where they sit. Their bodies are under Parman's control. Laurel leaves are thrown out in front of Spock and Kirk. They are forced to don them. Alexander starts beating a drum. Kirk and Spock break into dance and sing this Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> they continue to dance and then when it ends, they are forced to their knees. <laughs> Kirk says, You're not staying, McCoy. And Kirk is thrown down the floor. And McCoy yells at Parman, Stop, and Kirk rolls on the floor in pain. Parman says, Well, doctor? McCoy says, I have my orders. Kirk says, is this your utopia, your grand vision of the future?
1: Couldn't he make Kirk shut up? I mean, he can throw him about the room, <laughs> you know? He can make him dance, and he can make him sing a stupid song. Make him shut up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can see the writer probably had that in there, and Chatner read it and goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably it. <laughs> Suddenly Spock is pulled to his feet. Uh, Spock moves towards Kirk and does a flamenco dance
1: around him. Well, it's actually Franken-Spock. And
0: And then Spock raises his foot over Kirk's face and looks like he's going to step on him.
1: Do you think it actually was right on his face? I mean, he kept lowering it down. Do you think it actually touched his nose? I mean, it was close. It was very close. Yeah.
0: Then suddenly Spock drops to the ground. So he's sitting next to Kirk and he starts laughing. And he picks up the laurel leaves and goes to Alexander and he just keeps laughing. McCoy says, he's a Vulcan. You can't force emotion out of him. And Parman says, we can't let him die laughing. Next Spock starts crying. And Kirk says, don't let them break you as he struggles to get up on all fours and starts acting like a horse. Alexander says, Parman, they saved your life. I'm ashamed to be a Platonian. Alexander is thrown onto the floor, then forced to climb on Kirk's back and ride Kirk around the room like he's a horse, as Kirk (laughs) rears and neighs.
1: What do you think the reaction of the actors was when they got the script, especially Shatner? And he's like, well, Shatner probably be like, hey, as long as I'm the center of attention, I don't, make me a horse. I don't care. I don't He's care. like,
0: oh, look, I can stretch my acting chops here, you know, and people are going to be so impressed that I pull this off. You know, So,
1: yeah. Because <laughs> they know the show is going to end here pretty soon. And he needs another job.
0: So Parman looks to McCoy and says, how can you let this go on? And McCoy looks very deeply concerned
1: yeah because he's looking at kirk act like a horse and he's like that doesn't look like a horse to me that's not (laughs) even close
0: later in the guest room spock is sitting there in a daze kirk asks if there's anything he can do for him mccoy says nothing he must come through this by himself so spock finally says i trust they did not injure you captain kirk says he's okay just a little sore
1: and his voice is a little hoarse
0: wow nice one (laughs) McCoy says the release of emotions, Mister Spock, is what keeps us healthy—emotionally healthy,
1: that is. Yeah, not like you know, release of other things in the Schmitter, which will keep you healthy, also. <laughs> but in this case, we're talking emotion, Spock.
0: Spock says that may
1: be, Doctor. However, I have noted that the healthy release of emotion is frequently very unhealthy for those closest to you. Well, kind of like when he threw the soup at Nurse Chapel in a muck time. Spock says,
0: "Do you still feel anger towards Parman?" And Kirk says, "Great anger." And Spock says, "Then you must release it, gentlemen, as I must master mine. I might have seriously injured you, Captain, and even killed you. They have evoked such great hatred in me. I cannot
1: allow it to go further." But good dancing, but good dancing though, Dana.
0: So I must master my flamenco dance. So, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hey, back to the whole flamenco thing, Dana. I'm sorry, but (laughs) okay. Greek civilization was several thousand years ago, yeah? Yep. And probably several thousand miles from Spain, where I assume flamenco dancing originated, and also separated in time. How the hell did they know about flamenco dancing?
0: Maybe they reached into Spock's mind and it was something he's always wanted to do. (laughs) <laughs> and uh...
1: <laughs> he's up on the Enterprise, you know, and at his science station, thinking, you know, I'm a science officer on a starship for the Federation, but I've always wanted to be a flamenco dancer. It's been my <laughs> dream. <laughs>
0: He's practicing his room all the
1: time. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Someone who's got the room below him, they're like, "Hey, <laughs> hey, you up there? Stop that!" <laughs> <laughs> driving, driving people fucking crazy on the enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sorry. Sorry to get us off track there, but it just—it's no, okay. It just bothered me.
0: Is that ramble jar worthy? I'm not sure. So
1: yeah, probably that's not. But I'm sure there will be other things that will. <laughs>
0: We, we have stayed so far within the
1: confines of the show, pretty much. I would say. I'd say that's like on the outer edges, you know? For Yeah, because yeah. we were talking about the show. We were talking about other stuff.
0: McCoy says, this is senseless. I'm going to stay. Kirk says, sacrifice yourself by agreeing to stay and you sign our death warrant. Alexander says, he's right. I should have warned you. They were treating you the same way they treat me. Spock asks, how long did the provisions they brought with them last? And Alexander says, about three months. Spock says, then it is logical to assume that there is a connection between the psychokinetic power and the eating of the native foods. McCoy says, then why wouldn't Alexander have the same power as the others? Spock says, perhaps his system cannot absorb the crucial element. So Kirk says, kirinide, it's a high energy source. That could be it. And Kirk asks if there's a way to build up kirinide in their blood. And McCoy says, he's going to get on it right away. Then he realizes it might take a long time for the desired effect. They each get a shot, so it's like like immediate that McCoy was able to figure this out. So just then Chapel and Uhura beam down and they both look like they're trying to talk, but no words come out. So they are obviously under Parman's control. And then all of a sudden they get marched out of the room. Kirk says, I guess we weren't sufficiently entertaining. So next we see Uhura and Chapel in ancient style gowns. So Kirk and Spock enter and they're in tunics. Kirk asks Spock if he noticed any difference from the Kieranide and Spock and Kirk try to lift a plate of food on a table using only their minds. Nothing happens.
1: No, of course not.
0: So they hear laughter all around them. The room opens up and we see Parman, McCoy, and Flena, and a bunch of others. About 38 others, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was looking to see, and it was not, Dan. It was not 38. Yeah, no. There may have been 12, maybe at the most.
0: Parman Stan says, fellow Acomadain- Acom-
1: <laughs> Acomadamia nuts. <laughs> Welcome as we...
0: <laughs> I even practiced saying this yesterday.
1: <laughs> I don't even know what word you're trying to say, so I'm going to be no help.
0: Parman Stan says, fellow Acomadicians.
1: There we go. It's good.
0: Twenty five hundred years ago, and that's basically yada yada yada. Uh, (laughs)
1: Thank you, thank you for not putting that speech in.
0: It ends with this night is indeed a festive occasion for tonight. We welcome into that brotherhood its first new member.
1: Oh, this is like a welcome celebration for McCoy.
0: Oh, he said new member. I thought like he got a you know transplant or something.
1: Well, McCoy did lift (laughs) up you know the blanket and looked under there, and he's like, "Mm, I don't think I do anything about that.
0: Kirk says, Not yet, Parman. You have to convince the doctor first. And McCoy says, They'll never do it, Jim. I'm with you. <laughs> Until they kill you both, and then I'm with them. <laughs> <laughs> so Parman says, We need a serenade from our laughing spaceman. And Spock, Uhura, and Chapel are all tossed aside, and Kirk is left standing alone in the middle of the room. Spock sings to Uhura and Chapel. Take care, young ladies, and value your wine. Be watchful of
1: young men in their velvet prime. Deeply they'll swallow from your finest kegs.
0: Then swiftly be gone, leaving bitter dregs. Parman causes the furniture to move and uh, the crew to be moved around again. The women are now on couches, or actually I think they're tables. The men move back and forth between the two women. So it's like one minute Spock is with Chapel and then he gets up and goes to Uhura and, you know, Trades places with Kirk, and then they go back. Ends up that uh, Spock is with Chapel. She asks for him to make it stop, and he says he can't. And they're, like, embraced now. And she so says, for so long, I've wanted to be close to you, but all I want now is to crawl away and die. That's, that's romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like one of my dates. And, uh... <laughs> Spock is forced closer to her, and they kiss. And the peanut gallery makes stupid comments and everyone laughs. And it's just (laughs) by this point. (laughs) So next we go to Kirk and Uhura and Uhura says she's frightened. And she says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of all the times in the Enterprise when I was scared to death. And I would see you so busy at your command. (laughs) And I would hear your voice from all parts of the ship. My fears would fade. Then she says, but now I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. And they pull closer and the camera moves in as they slightly twist and appear to kiss. Yeah. So Parman brings a bench over with a whip and other devices of pain are strewn across it. Kirk grabs the whip and Spock takes the red hot poker.
1: Yep. We always knew that he was about the red hot poker.
0: (laughs) And they start going towards the women. Kirk cracks the whip and turns back to Parman. He says, you're half dead, all of you. You've all been dead for centuries. We may disappear tomorrow, but at least we're living now. And you can't stand that, can you?
1: So Dana, at least... This speech didn't go on and on and on. I mean, that we got to give it the writer that credit. I think.
0: So Kirk cracks the whip at Uhura, and Alexander crawls over the rail, and Spock approaches Chapel with the poker,
1: the red hot poker.
0: I, I have here. a Wait for Dan's comment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it was the tip was glowing, Dana.
0: And Alexander picks up a knife from the bench and starts towards Parman. Felina warns Parman. Parman makes Alexander turn the knife on himself. Everyone watches as it looks like Alexander will stab himself. Then he turns his knife away from his body and Parman says, Who did this? And Kirk throws down the whip and says, I did. And
1: he laughs. <laughs> it was dumb, Dana. That part was just dumb.
0: <laughs> he laughs. He's like, ha, ha ha ha. And Parman says, impossible. And Spock says, quite possible and logical but Spock throws away the poker and he doesn't just like toss it out in front of him he kind of like throws it over his shoulder right where (laughs) Chapel's sitting
1: (laughs) she's like well he told me he was going to give me the red hot poker someday and I guess that's what he meant
0: (laughs) Yeah, that would be hilarious. You know, you throw it away and you goes, ah!
1: <laughs> she just bursts into flames, you know? <laughs> Big poof, poof <laughs> up behind him. <laughs>
0: Kirk says, listen to me. The next one of you that tries any trick will get hurt. Not only do we have your psychokinetic abilities, but uh, twice your power level. Parman says not twice mine. Now, Alexander raises the knife and goes towards Kirk. And Kirk turns Alexander back toward Parman because, you know, Kirk was there to help Alexander. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, <laughs> Parman turns Alexander back toward Kirk. And finally, Kirk forces Alexander back at Parman. So the knife is close to Parman. Parman says, I don't want to die. Alexander turns back and begs Kirk to let him finish Parman off. Kirk says, do you want to be like them? After a moment, Alexander puts the knife down, and Parman goes towards Kirk, says, Captain, you knew that I intended to destroy both you and the Enterprise, yet you spared me. Who
1: wrote this? God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Kirk says to us, killing is murder, even for revenge. Well, most of the time.
1: Okay, Dana, this is the second time this season we've heard Kirk give this almost exact same speech, and it's a lie, right?
0: Yeah. It's yeah, it's like, well, you know, it's a killing's wrong even for well, sometimes for revenge. And then you know, if the other guy's wrong based on our
1: beliefs, yeah,
0: <laughs> then it's okay. Yeah, it's wrong. It's wrong for you guys, basically. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: And then Kirk said, There will be other starships and Parman's like, there's no need for concern, they'll be safe. We shall welcome your interstellar visits. And Kirk's like, I don't believe you.
1: <laughs> well, probably the <laughs> smartest thing Kirk said all episode.
0: Kirk says, just a reminder, we can create the power in a matter of hours, so don't try anything. And Parman's like, all. Oh, shaking. He's like, understood, Captain. And you're right. None of us can be trusted. Uncontrolled power will turn even saints into savages. And we can all be counted upon to live down to our lowest impulses. Kirk says, now move aside. And Parman walks away, dejected looking. And Kirk calls to Alexander and he kneels down next to him. He opens his communicator and says, Kirk to Enterprise. Mr. Scott, prepared to beam us up. And he looks at Alexander and says, I have a little surprise for you. I'm bringing a visitor aboard. Alexander looks very happy. And Dan, that's how this episode ends.
1: Danny, you have some things to share with us about this episode.
0: Yeah, Dan, uh, that song that Leonard Nimoy sang is one that he actually wrote. He actually wrote that for this episode.
1: Maybe that's why he didn't become a songwriter and became an actor instead. <laughs> One of the lines in the song, Dana, he talks about how these maidens should be leery of male suitors. And he sings, deeply, they'll swallow from your finest kegs. And there's other, not very hidden messages in this song. I am really surprised, actually, Dana, that the song made it past the censors. Leonard Nimoy also put out an album that had songs on it, Dana, including those with the titles Highly Illogical. (laughs) music to watch space girls by, and Spock Thoughts. You can find this album on Spotify. Don't listen to it. It's horrible. (laughs) And in fact, there's another album on Spotify that has music by both Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner. And I just want to play a piece of that right now, Dana. Shatner also sings, but with even more hilarious results. And here's a bit of a classic by him. Tambourine man, hey, Mr. Mr. Tambourine man. I'm not sleepy, yet, and
0: there is no place I'm going to. Hey, Mr. Tambourine man. Hey, Mr. Tam- Mr. Tambourine man.
1: So Dana, I don't know. Compared to Leonard Nimoy, what did you think of Shatner's musical skills?
0: Uh, I took off my headphones and threw them away.
1: uh... (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so that's... uh, Go ahead and listen to that when you get a chance, but don't blame me. That's all I have to say to our listeners. Don't blame me.
0: So uh, Michael Dunn played Alexander. uh, Dunn's familiar face to a lot of people. He was nominated uh, for an Oscar and also for a Tony for his work over the years. The Oscar nod came from the movie Ship of Fools, as Best Supporting Actor. Other than this role, he is probably best remembered as Dr. Miguelito Loveless on Wild Wild West. Here's something you probably don't know. At age 15, Michael Dunn was a renowned concert pianist. But because of the disease disease that crippled its elbows, his ability to play the piano was exceptionally limited. He had an IQ of 178.
1: Wow. That's sad that he had to give up that musical career
0: but he died fairly young at age 38 uh, heart failure brought on by the disease he had so Liam Sullivan was the guy that played Parman he kind of looked familiar to me but not greatly so I was curious about him he shows up in a ton of TV shows of the 60s and 70s he was a Harvard graduate who appeared in the Twilight Zone episode The Silence which is a pretty classic episode other TV shows included Wagon Train The Man from U.N.C.L.E. he was in Lost in Space and Voyage to the Bottom of the sea. He died at age 74 from a heart attack, and he was quoted as saying, playing truly evil people is a great way to release tension and anger and disgust with humanity. Dan, do you have anything else you want to add in?
1: Well, Dana, we can't end the podcast without talking about the one reason this episode has become iconic, and that is the kiss, right?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So that scene between William Shatner and Nichelle Nichols is considered a landmark event in television history, the interracial kiss. As weird as it seems now, Dana, in 1968, it was considered earth shattering or or Shatnering. Not sure which you'd use, but...
0: (laughs) The producers were afraid of having the kiss because people in the South would object so much. And they thought they would lose their entire Southern demographic. So they uh, did everything they could to kind of conceal the kiss somewhat. And uh, they said that they tried to shoot it two ways. So one time that Shatner's kissing her, and then the other times it's... They come really close, but it's obvious they're not kissing. Shatner, every time they did those other takes, Shatner would goof around and completely ruin the scene. So they ended up only have, after like 29 tries, all they had left was the one where he actually appears to kiss her.
1: Yeah. And now Shatner, in his book, Star Trek Memories, which I actually have here on my shelf, insisted that their lips never touched. But Nichelle Nichols wrote in her biography in 1994, Beyond Uhura, that the kiss was real, even though during the takes, like you said, the camera angle obscures their lips. But she also gave that same account in several recorded interviews. So why would one say it happened and one say it didn't happen? I don't really know.
0: So Dan, this was supposed to be the first interracial kiss on American television. That's what they always say, right? Not necessarily true. Actually, Anne Bancroft, who's uh, known from uh, The Graduate and several other movies, raised eyebrows when she gave Sidney Poitier a kiss on the cheek along with his Oscar, the Academy Awards broadcast, in 1964. And in 1967, Nancy Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. greeted each other with an on-screen kiss in the televised musical variety special, Moving with Nancy. It's, It's crazy to think that, I mean, it's 50 years ago. You and I grew up during that time, and it just seems weird that that was such a big deal. Right. But to some people, it was was horrifying.
1: And in fact, according to Nichelle Nichols, the fan mail about this episode was mostly positive. However, Gene Roddenberry shared one letter with Nichols. And here she is in an interview talking about that incident. So I opened it up, and I read it, and he said, I'm a white man from the South, and I'm against the mixing of the races, but any time a red-blooded boy like Captain Kirk gets a beautiful dame in his arms that look like uh, Lieutenant Uhura, he ain't gonna fight it. Now, what's wrong with that boy? Apparently, this was the largest fan mail that... Paramount had ever gotten on Star Trek in one for one episode. People have talked about it ever since. They thought of the world differently, they thought of people differently. Yeah, ignorance knows no bounds, Dana. And that's <laughs> the same today as it ever has been, probably, which is unfortunate. Dana, how about a theme or dilemma for this episode?
0: Don't trust people with telepathic powers. Uh, it's, uh...
1: <laughs> yeah, that's got to be I... it. <laughs>
0: Once again, I think it's absolute power corrupts absolutely. So how about you? Do you have a theme or dilemma for this episode?
1: I'd say it's pretty much the same. You know, we've talked about this theme several times already. This is at least, what, the fourth, fifth time, maybe, Dana?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: And does power really make people do things they, you know, otherwise wouldn't do, especially mean or evil ways? You know, there are more examples of that than people using their power and wealth for the collective good, don't you think?
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's unfortunate, but it seems to be very true. Okay, Dan, do you have a best part for this show?
1: I had some real issues with the show, Dana, as people probably picked up on. But Michael Dunn, who played Alexander, I thought he was excellent. I thought he was the highlight of the show. This easily could have been played in a different way. Exact same words in the script, but played where he was making himself out to be a caricature. But instead, I thought he really played the role with grace and dignity. was very persuasive for me. He was the best part of this entire episode.
0: I agree with you. I also have that as one of my uh, best parts of this episode. That uh, I, I think he showed humanity. You know, which is not an always, always an easy thing to show. Do you have another best part for us, Dan?
1: Yeah, Dana. The next best part for me was the flamenco dancer. That was not just a stunt actor. That was actually a real flamenco dancer by the name of Armando Gonzalez.
0: That's crazy. I could have sworn it was Spock. Yeah, I mean, modern anymore.
1: <laughs> well, well, it, yeah, and it 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 really did, as we mentioned earlier, look like Frank and Spock, the flat hair.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Dana, how about another best part for you?
0: Even though we laughed at this, Dan, I thought Shatner and Nimoy's ability to play these parts so fully and effectively when it was just absurd just showed how good actors they are. You know, we make fun of uh, Shatner from time to time. But I mean, the stuff that he did in this, did some kind of light dancing, you know, the slapping scene where he slaps himself, the playing the horse, it's absurdist comedy almost but uh he plays it for all it's worth how about a worse part for you dan
1: oh this part dana i wanted to jump through the television and do some slapping my some mabinging <laughs> myself the two guys who are watching the performance of spock kirk chaplin or her, remember those two guys yeah i just wanted to get in there and slap that triple eating <laughs> grin off their faces oh my god they drove me insane but they did a really good job at it i suppose Dana, how about a worst part for you?
0: The script. It was exceptionally talky, and uh, we kind of skimmed over some of the talking parts. But
1: thank you, thank you, Dana. By the way, for that, I, I do appreciate <laughs> it.
0: But another group
1: that took lessons from
0: a long ago Earth civilization and try to use it for their own means turned it into utopia or whatever, and they fail miserably. And somehow the Enterprise crew interacts with them. It bothered me a lot. Do you have another worst part for us, Dan?
1: Dana, yeah, another worst part for me was. Barbara Babcock was in this episode, and she was just in an episode a few weeks ago, it seems like. And I don't know, couldn't they find somebody else?
0: (laughs) And she did the uh, voice for the Tholians. Right. In the Tholian web. Yeah, that's right. Right.
1: Yeah. How about another worst part for you?
0: Well, it's funny, Dan. I was going to mention Barbara Babcock as well. Her role is kind of non-existent. She helps the story move along a little bit. She kind of fills in some of the gaps but anybody could have played it. I bet you she had 20 lines.
1: Yeah. Dana, I think you're chomping at the bit for another worst part. What do, you, what do you got for us?
0: Kirk getting telekinetic powers at the end. It just felt like cheating to some degree. It seemed, after everything they'd been through, and then he's musing Alexander as a pawn and pushing him back and forth. And, oh, man, I just, yeah, it, it's, I could just see the writers, you know, going, hey, so now we've reached this point. How is How are they going to get out of this? And then it's like, Kirk's going to get telekinetic powers. You know, that's what it's going to be. It just seemed desperate.
1: So, Dana, what happened on this date in history?
0: Dan, this was first released on November 22nd, 1968. The number one song in the U.S. was by the Beatles. It was still Hey Jude. And the number one song in the U.K. is still... The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly by Hugo Montenegro and his orchestra and chorus. Also on this date, the Beatles' White Album is released. It's their only double album. It's actually called, it's an eponymous album, just named The Beatles, uh, but everybody refers to it as the White Album. Here's one for you, Dan. Japan Airlines Flight 2 from... oh wait, okay,
1: okay. <laughs> I know I know. I shouldn't laugh at these, Dana, or even feel any type of joy, but go ahead.
0: <laughs> Flight 2 from Tokyo crashed into San Francisco Bay while making his landing approach, the captain was able to save the 97 passengers and the crew of 11 by landing in the water and directing everyone into rubber life
1: rafts. Wow. Dana, that actually kind of brings me joy that no one died in this one. So it's actually not a tragedy. It was a tragedy averted.
0: Yeah. You never hear about this. Nobody made a uh, TV movie about this or anything. No. And he was Sully before Sully. Yeah. So, Dan, on November 21st, a new speed record for an electric-powered car was set at the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah, where driver Jerry Kugel averaged 138.862 miles per hour on a one-mile trip and on the return
1: trip. So we went two miles. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like. (laughs) All right, what else we got, Dana?
0: So, Dan, uh, Lynn Neusen was crowned the homecoming queen for the University of Houston at halftime of its football game against the visiting University of Tulsa, becoming the first black student to be accorded that honor of any college or university in the Deep South region. Only seven years earlier, UH had been an all-white institution not integrating until the 1962-63 academic year wow the story doesn't have a happy ending in september of 1971 using would be found stabbed to death in her car by leo jackson jr he would be prosecuted for her murder but ultimately acquitted that's all we have
1: dan hey dana how about if we do the counts dead crewman count dana none 47.5 is where we're still stuck at how about the shirtless kirk rip shirt kirk count
0: we saw a nipple
1: i think it counts
0: yeah so we're now up to 19
1: is that a shat nip is that what we'd call that (laughs) uh the he's dead count
0: nope not this week so we're at (laughs) 22
1: i'm a doctor not a fill in the blank dana
0: (laughs) again nothing
1: so we are still at eight. We only have 14 more chances, right?
0: This was 14.
1: <laughs> so we got 13 more chances?
0: Yeah. Lucky 13.
1: All right. Maybe we'll get one. Didn't we make a bet on that? We did. You bet that he doesn't say any more. I bet that he says at least one more. And I think the bet was for... Garrett's popcorn. Garrett's popcorn. That's what it was. Yeah.
0: Which we might have changed to adult diapers, but yeah, just as good. <laughs> we <might have> to.
1: <laughs> How about the supreme being count, Dana? I have zero. What do you have, Dan? I put 1, and here's why. They were able to control the Enterprise and make people do things against their will. Doesn't that kind of count? I'll count it. So what does that leave us with? 12. How about the violation of the Prime Directive?
0: Nothing this week, so we are still at 12
1: on that count. All right, taking over of the Enterprise.
0: Dan, we got a winner here because they were able to control the Enterprise, so that's 1. That brings us up to 14.
1: All right, and then finally, who's commanding the Enterprise?
0: Scotty was in command that we saw and heard, so uh, that brings us up to thirty-nine.
1: Was that Pam McClung who who recommended that one? Yeah. Brilliant. That's the best count we've got going. (laughs) Well,
0: it's because the rest we thought of ourselves, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Dana, this week you had four counts that changed. I thought that was pretty good. Well, Dana, overall, you know, this episode was kind of on the ridiculous side. However, I thought the idea in some ways was kind of cool. I mean, the kiss, even though it wasn't the first interracial kiss on television, you know, is, is iconic. Everyone knows that about Star Trek they don't have any clue what the episode was probably but they know it happened. I thought Michael Dunn as Alexander was excellent If the writing could have been tweaked a little bit this could have been maybe one of the best episodes
0: Wow we're a little bit flipped here usually I like episodes better than you do I, I've always remembered this episode and not fondly. Uh, it's just always bothered me the you know the kiss is great Michael Dunn nearly saves the show it just seemed weak. You know, it's a rehash of some other ideas we've seen. People with, you know, powers can make the crew do what they want. Just bothered me. I am not a big fan of this
1: episode. <laughs> okay. Can I can I amend my statement? This episode sucked, Dana. It was really horrible. And not a tweaking of the writing, but a complete rewrite would have made this episode brilliant. <laughs> That's what I meant.
0: It, it still had the kiss. Yeah, so. <laughs>
1: it still had the kiss. And Michael Dunn. Like you said, I think yeah. you're right. He almost saved it. Well, Dana, had a great time once again talking about this episode. What do we got coming up next week?
0: Dan, next week is Wink of an Eye.
1: All right. Well... Had a great time tonight, Dana. I'd like to thank everyone who wrote in. Thank Pam for calling in. Once again, we do have a number that you can call the Damage Gym Hotline at 509-676-6298. And Dana? Have a great rest of your week.
0: Dan, it's always fun to get together with you and talk about Star Trek, even on some of the lesser, well-appreciated episodes, shall we say. So uh, it's great fun. And thanks to all of our fans and friends who have uh, been very supportive for us. Just remember, there's 13 episodes left uh, of the original series. So uh, we're still working on what we're going to do next. Until we meet again, live long and prosper.
1: Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at damnitjimpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or join the discussion on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or X. You can also call the Dammit Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Enjoy the rest of your week. And as always, remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.